heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And just like that, folks, I'm back. I took a week off, but this is episode 78 of YWC Football Talk. Uh, The Trust Fund is back once again. Jared is back on the show. Big Rat will be by shortly. But, Jared, since I talked to you, a lot has transpired in the NFL, so how are we feeling about everything? Uh, Crazy free agency period, right? I mean, obviously we kind of um, saw a lot of this coming. Um, Mass cuts across the league with the cap going down in a year where it was expected to go up. And, yeah, a lot of teams making moves. Exactly, but here's the one thing, though. Like, since, obviously, we last spoke, the cap's going to be going up in the next few years because the owner's got together and said, hey guys, we're going to sign a brand new TV contract worth $110 billion. And as a man right. that loves his money, I know you love to see that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's why, and that's why you see a lot of these players uh, this year that were taking short-term deals um, with the idea that they were going to take advantage of that in the next uh, couple, uh, couple of years. They're kind of betting on themselves. Some of these guys are coming off of the injuries. Yeah, exactly. So when the salary cap bounces back in 2022 and 2023, a lot of those guys can cash in and get those like big contracts that they want. Exactly, exactly. It's also, like very like most guys you saw kind of getting signed in the mid teens uh, relatively quickly, but you didn't you only saw a handful like pushing above 15 million, you know, even guys like uh, I mean I mean like uh, Juju would obviously be an example of a hometown discount, but still the fact that, you know, he's playing for under 10 million Exactly, and um, speaking of all the money and stuff, there was one guy though who said uh, f the hometown discount and that, and that is Kenny Galladay signing a deal, I believe, at eighteen million per year with the New York Giants. Um, I want to. I obviously know you like it just because you like the player, but do you like it from a financial perspective as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Um, obviously, it's a lot of guaranteed money, but I really think that the Giants are in a situation where they kind of have to win now for the sake of their quarterback and their general manager. So. Uh, you know, in the in the case of him, I think that uh, you know they were they probably were competing against themselves at the end of the day. Uh, guys like the I mean, teams like the Ravens uh, inquired only briefly and were scared off by the price tag. Um, and I I just think that Galladay had a lot of leverage um, just based on the fact that like Allen Robinson uh, ended up getting tagged, Chris Godwin ends up getting tagged, uh, or, or rather resigned, and um, so uh, they just. You know, it was a year where, you know, it was obviously still deep wide receiver-wise in free agency, but I think he was by far the top choice. And they just, they really have lacked that number one receiver ever since Odell left. They need that downfield reliable threat. They need that guy to win contested catches. They need that go-to, uh, you know, big-body guy because the team is just pretty, you know, they're made up of so many, uh, you know, smaller-bodied, speedy slot-type receivers uh, which is why, you know, when I heard, like, Curtis Samuel's name being tossed around, I thought, oh, no, like, you know, not him. I don't think he solved the problem whatsoever. So I think, you know, maybe Donald Day was a bit of a reach financial-wise, but I just think that it's worth it's worth the gamble. Uh, I'd rather take the risk of him being 
case, and he's not going to fall that low. So I think you go with the, the closest thing to a sure thing you have. You, you saw what Stephon Diggs did for Josh Allen last year, so they're trying to make the same thing happen with Daniel. Again, they're probably playing for his future along with, uh, you know, from Dave Gettleman's perspective, he's probably, um, you know, working for his job as well. So I like the move. And just like that, we have Big Rat 310 entering the podcast. Uh, we just started recording a little bit. Uh, Jared was just giving us quick thoughts on the uh, Jared Goff situation. Obviously, Big Rat hasn't been here since free agency, but how are we doing today, Big Rat? Uh, so far, so good. Just long, stressful day. But uh, here, here to have some fun. It's all good. And um, one point that uh, Jared said was he uh, the, the New York Giants went out to get Kenny Galladay as a weapon to them. But speaking of which, because he's in his third year, uh, a team across the street from the Giants decided to trade their quarterback today as Sam Darnold is now a Carolina Panther and unfortunately for Big Rat and I, out of the AFC East. <laughs> yeah, Brian, Brian Flores and Bill Belichick in particular just seem to absolutely love playing Sam Darnold. Like, they just they made his life a living hell in two straight years. Yeah. Sam Darnold too. He ends up fucking over Teddy Bridgewater not once in his career, but twice. <laughs> like that's the big thing now because the the Panthers are still due to owe Teddy. So I'm just trying to figure out like where in the hell he could end up. But he, I feel like it's gonna be the same thing for him again where he gets traded like late August. He could. They could trade to. Denver. They could trade to Chicago. The problem with keeping him, which Jared, I think me and him, this, is because as of now, Teddy Bridgewater's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. Even Sam Darnold's year with the Jets, remember, Teddy was on that team too, and Teddy was not playing him in the preseason. And obviously at the time, Darnold was the third overall pick. He was a rookie. He was the future. So Darnold was going to get up no matter what. That's why they had to trade Teddy. Teddy was better than him back then. He's been better than him since then too. They can't keep him um, because of the fact that I think it would hurt their ability to would hurt their ability to let Darnold get the job. Now the problem, what makes this kind of awkward, is what I haven't seen talked about in this trade. Teddy makes a lot of money. Teddy close to June first has a million dollar salary cap hit. So Teddy makes a lot of money this year. They can't just out cut him if they do. And he's going to be making up the money. So the only thing to do is trade him. According to Ben's report, teams that are interested in him don't want to pay him at that sum. So you're in this awkward situation where the Panthers are going to ask Teddy, hey, take less money, or else take less money so to trade you. And Teddy might be, you know what, screw that. Like, I don't want to take less money. He never got, this was his only big payday in his career. 
$15 million. And if he refuses to take the pay cut, it's hard to trade him. Panthers to cut him, and if they cut him and they pay all his guarantees, then he can sign with any team in the league and he can get what he wants, another chance to start. But if the Panthers don't cut him and don't it can make it awkward to transition to Sam Darnold. So I think the Panthers are in a tough spot here. I don't think they're this is not it. People think it's just so easy to trade him. I mean it's a it's a fifteen million dollar salary. That's guaranteed. It's not easy. Exactly. You have the two tough situations now with obviously because I want to get into this with you. The whole San Francisco debacle, which I, man, Chris Greer just woke up feeling dangerous that day. Um, you guys, like, or you, like Chris Greer's in the driver's seat now with that trade, but, like, how now the Niners trade away their first-round picks for next year and the year after to get the third overall pick, but then now they're, apparently they're turning around and saying, hey, we want a first for Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's like, um, John Lynch, it doesn't work like that. Because me and Danny said this on Twitter. 
Ryan Tannehill was never as bad as Darnold under Gase. Never. It's just a fucking lie. Like, Tannehill was like a solid, a really good quarterback in 2016, his first year with Gase. Then he was injured for all, in, all of 2017, and then he was bad in 2018. But he was not Darnold level bad. He was just like a little bit below average, not the worst quarterback in the world. So, he's arguing so disingenuous to imply that Tannehill was that bad with Gase, and now Darnold, you're in your I, I mean, I mean, I kind of see that argument, but I mean, and the Dolphins, you know, they've had a, they had offensive line issues throughout Tannehill's run with the team, but they still, you know, from a weapons perspective, I mean, even with the, the you know, subpar O-line play, Jay Ajayi still had a stud year that year, and, you know, he still had Landry, Kenny Stills. I argue that's a much better supporting cast than Donald's ever been supplied with. Robbie Anderson, the first two years, who Donald played with the first two years of Donald's career, Robbie Anderson accomplished more in his career than Kenny Stills ever has. Robbie Anderson was a thousand yard receiver last year. And he's the same type of skill set, same type of player. So no, I don't fully buy that. I think Robbie I Robbie Anderson and Davison Crowder is not it's Jarvis Landry is better than both of them. Yes. Jarvis Landry yeah. oh, oh, Tannehill did not have Landry his last year. Tannehill had Devontae Parker who didn't play for half the year and Kenny Stills. And Albert Wilson, who got hurt early in the season. He did not have Jarvis Landry in 2018. So, no, Jameson Crowder and Robbie Anderson in 2019 under Gase is better than what Tannehill dealt with his last year under Gase. And I'm glad you brought up the O-line, because notoriously Miami had the worst O-lines in the league, like his entire career down here. But look at the number. Well, hold on. my Twitter account. Look at the numbers. It's not like they're close. It was not close. No, no, no. Tannehill was a middle-of-the-road quarterback. Dalton was the worst quarterback in football. It's like the 17th best quarterback in the league versus the 31st, 34th best quarterback in the league. Like, that's how big the difference was. It was not like they were neck and neck. Tannehill was better being more help. No, Tannehill was so much better. And so, those opinions are a little disingenuous. And what I was telling Dan and what I told Jerry Messenger, I do think Darnold can get better in Carolina. The thing is, though, I think he has to be like an actual good quarterback. If Darnold is like average, I don't think that's a success. I don't think get second round pick and a fourth round pick for some quarterback pick worth it because you can get that in free agency you can get that with Teddy you can get that anywhere I think it's becomes worth it if he's good he has to be good so his arguments that he's going to get better I agree he's going to get better that's not the point it's not good enough to get to improve the worst quarterback the average he's got to be a good quarterback and that's what's going to determine the success of this trip well, I mean, they, like I said, I, I still think, you know, it's going to be an upgrade supporting cast-wise. And, and I mean, you made the point about the receivers not really being a massive difference, but I think the running game was certain, certainly, like, night and day. I mean, you're dealing with, like, you know, a 50-year-old Frank Gore as a lead back over there, and now he's going to the Panthers with Christian McCaffrey. If he comes back for a full season healthy, obviously that's going to, you know, do wonders uh, for his, you know, flexibility uh, for what he for, for what he could do. And also, if they hang on to the number eight pick, they're going to be in a position to take, um, you know, one of the big four, whether it's a Pitts or a Chase or a Devonta or a Waddle. Um, although I think that they're probably a trade-down contender at this point, uh, having made the Darnold move. But if they stay pat in that slot, they're going to be able to replace uh, and possibly upgrade from Curtis Samuel. So they're going to, I mean, I think that it's definitely a better situation. It's a better coaching situation as well. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously, Robert Sal is an upgrade over Adam Gates, but it's another defensive-minded coach. And I think working with Joe Brady and Matt Rule, um, he's going to, you know, I think he's going to have some more opportunities. 
No, I fully agree with what you said. Like, I think it's... Now is Sam, it's like all of a sudden, oh my god, like, obviously Adam Gase to Joe Brady, it's an upgrade, but if Joe Brady can't fix Sam that we knew all along, that look, it may not have been Gase's fault that Sam was such a bad quarterback, maybe it was just, it was Sam's bad quarterback all along, and it wasn't entirely Gase's fault. Like, Big Rat makes a really good point of how, yeah, at Ryan Tannehill at his worst to Miami was not Sam Darnold level bad. Sam last year was the worst quarterback in football. Unequivocally. Like, Tampa never that bad. Never. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens with both teams now, but, like, you, we all know that the Jets more than likely are going to go Zach Wilson, but I feel like Jet fans have to know, saying, like, hey, at first, I don't think it's going to be all, like, sunshines and rainbows and you're going to start winning right away. they got to probably understand, look, there may be a year or two where you're not exactly a good team. There's gonna be there's gonna be a, even though people say like Zach Wilson's NFL ready out of all these quarterback prospects, like there's still a huge learning curve between college and the NFL. Yeah, usually at least a year. Go ahead. And Zach Wilson also, you know, didn't play against power five level competition. Also, furthermore, people compare him to Mahomes. Well, Mahomes wasn't ready to play as a rookie. He sat literally the season. Now. You know, like, I understand, like, they're different players. Like, they're different, ultimately, at the end of the day. We'll see, like, with with Wilson. But and I'm just saying, it, it will take time. And I, I think I think Jets fans understand that. Like, Danny, if you talk to Danny about it, like, Danny's pretty open about, yeah, we'll probably have a top ten pick next year. This is what they do. They lose a lot. Unless you're two of them. They're in, like, that Cincinnati last year situation, in my opinion, where it's like, you know what? This year, they're probably gonna have a, like you said another top ten pick with uh, with their pick and also too we don't know what the Seattle pick's gonna be so if I'm a Jets fan I'm already looking forward to 2022 or Moving subjects now is obviously I want to get your guys' thoughts on this new news that hey, there's going to be another game of NFL football next year. 17 weeks, 17 games of NFL football, 18 weeks, excuse me. Where like I don't know how you don't love it. Uh, 
a, a very competitive playoff picture with you know good teams with winning records um, missing out in the eighth in the eighth ninth slot. And then on the NFC side, you see the Bears backdooring into the playoffs and not looking remotely like a playoff team against the Saints. So I think that adding a 17th game uh, really helps to justify that a little bit more. I was kind of a fan of the 16th format. I think that that was just the right number, and I wish baseball would have done the same thing. And, of course, it's another – I mean, hey, it, it's – listen, it, it's the most fun sport to watch uh, out there, and we get another week of it. So who can complain, right? Exactly. Like, and for all the people that are saying, like, oh, it takes away from, like, like the regular season records and stuff and stuff like that. Like, I get that. But at the same time, too, the more the fan in me couldn't be happier about this. It's like, hey, you're getting an extra week of football. But eventually, I think this is leading. We're going to have 18 eventually, I think. Test me by the book. Well, no, the league's making more money. They're used. It's like the same old people too who are gonna bitch about like, oh, we have to watch Thursday night football on Amazon. It's like, look, no, the league's just moving ahead with the times that we're currently in. They know they have the fans hooked, and they know that hey, you add an extra week, it's not like people are gonna say, oh, I'm not watching this. No, people are gonna watch, and it's probably gonna make the games more exciting. I I just want, I want I'm cool. Like I, I grew Jared. It's like. Record-wise, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, it's happened before and on post It has been, it should be noted, it's been like 50 years since we last changed the number of games. So, yeah. there's a little different in that sense. But, I think the way we adjust is, can we please make records on a per game basis? Because, yes, like, someone, some, like, if Trevor Lawrence, like, throws, like, 38 touchdowns this year, he's going to break the rookie passing record again. Just broke that Baker just broke, and it's like, well, it'll mean a lot less because he had an extra game to do it. Uh, same, especially if we do games. So, can we just can we just change to per game? That's all I ask. Passing yards per game, rushing yards per game. Forget the two thousand yard benchmark and all that other stuff. That that's how we. say here even too for fantasy football like this gives does this give us an extra week of fantasy because i'd sure think so that instead of uh 16 weeks as fantasy now we get 17 yeah and there's also the uh there's also going to be the leagues that uh already played with 17 like i i i know everyone hates it i am in one league just one that does have a week seven change of game and so now that league is going to be 18 weeks with a week 18 change and that's going to be cool like, that's a thing, too. Also, oh, oh, sorry, go on, Jared. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm, re- I'm, just, I'm really happy that it's another week uh, at the end, and it's not starting earlier, because I think it would have been such a waste to do that 17th game, um, you know, starting the season earlier on 
weekend. Instead, it extends deeper into the winter when there's not as much going on anyway. And now it's like the Super Bowl can be the middle of February to shorten up the gap before the draft. Excellent point. I love that. Like, because the NFL too, like they're not stupid. They're not going to be like, oh hey, yeah, we're going to start Labor Day weekend. Because if you do that, you're not going to get a captivated audience. Because guess what? Everyone's out. They're at a cottage. They're on a lake. Uh, they're having a good time, and like they don't want to sit down and watch football. Meanwhile, you start it that next week. You know what? No one's up to anything. So hey, let's watch football. And you're right too. It also makes the off season one less week shorter. Exactly. Yeah, like that's the best way to look at it. Uh, obviously, free agency is gonna like creep up on us. It's like the Super Bowl's gonna end. We're gonna like you know like, not, like I this year like most years don't like this. Like once the Super Bowl's over, it's like okay. Want to like take a break a little bit for like two weeks? It's like you're gonna wake up one morning and be like, oh shit! Like five days, my players got to make a decision on this wide receiver on the market. It's gonna, it's gonna be no off season. It's great. It's gonna be like two weeks, and then the combine happens. Yeah. And and for trading for baseball, they guy you should watch it. It's a fun sport. They hit balls with sticks and stuff. And I've seen the Toronto Blue Jays win two of three this past weekend and beat the Texas Rangers today, so I'm feeling good. Uh, I don't think those games count, right? No, 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 they do. Even though you guys are... No, you got, but you guys are beating up on Baltimore right now, so it's all good. Um, but what was the one thing I was going to say, though, about... Oh, and here's the other thing, too. Um, I love how a few years ago the league wouldn't acknowledge gambling... Now it's a precedent in the sport, and it's only going to get bigger with, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Mercedes-Benz no longer has the name of the Superdome, and it's now Caesars Entertainment. So, for those of that, yeah, so as of this July, it's now the Caesars Superdome, and gambling is the force that's just coming into this league, and it's going to make the league stupid amount of money. football in this 18th week on top of the it's great for fantasy but it's also great too for gambling because the league knows hey we're just going to be making more money because a few years ago the gambling was like this boogeyman behind the door the NFL did not want to open now they open the door and just welcome it with pride and glee and yeah like I think Jersey made a billion dollars in January alone off of sports gambling Exactly. It's only smart that you let legalized gambling come in and play such a huge role into the league. Like how I think soon with stuff like Caesars naming a, having naming rights to a stadium, you're gonna see gambling kiosks eventually. I think in the stadium, and you're gonna have people going and betting. Yeah, 
it's it's we don't we don't even know the depths of how creative it can get. It's like because it's not just that they're gonna like allow it and support it, but it's like they're gonna put their money behind it. They're gonna find creative ways to create that interaction with fans. It's like there's so many there's so many ways. So it's all. Exactly. It's just the only thing is though they have to really drive home the play responsibly thing that you see a lot of the things in the whole advertise like hey if you have a gambling addiction please call this number because if, if that's obviously a problem that's just, that's obviously a darker thing I just want to bring that into the context but like you said more states are legalizing it and look but eventually it's going to be nationwide where gambling's legal yeah yeah and, and I think that you know you talk about the responsibility aspects of it um, you know when you have things like DraftKings out there that are pretty Exactly. But then again, the one thing that I notice that stuff like gambling does and like the, for example, the alcohol industry, and it's unfortunate, but if you like target that small audience that is unfortunately addicted to it, you make more money. I know that sounds really bad coming out of my mouth, but that's just, that's the unfortunate reality behind it. Well, and like, but also like alcohol, it's like... It is true, and it's very sad, no doubt. And, like, I'm sure, much like the alcohol industry, has led to the rise up of, like, campaigns warning about addiction and programs and brochures and education and all that. Like, that will soon follow for gambling addictions, too. But I think it's also important to know that there's certainly a segment of the alcohol population where the damage can be real severe. It can ruin your life. Like, everyone listening should be careful with that and gambling as well. But there's also the segment of the population that uses alcohol responsibly. And they're able to derive great value for that, and it makes a lot of money for a lot of people. And that's the kind of thing with gambling. It's like, at its worst, it could ruin someone's life, and there should be a lot of education to help people, no doubt. But there's also going to be a lot of people that will use it responsibly. And there's going to be a lot of people that will use it in a way where it just makes life more fun and make more money out of it. And we shouldn't forget about the, the positive impact it can have in addition to the um, exactly. Um, but going back to the 17th game thing, I just got to say quickly, because I actually just realized Big Rats and Dolphins play Jared's Giants this year. I just do like the, I just like the fact, though, that they're not doing it where it's like, oh, hey, half of the AFC is playing home and half of the NFC is playing home. I like how it's going to go one conference one year, one conference the next year. Yeah, so that it doesn't affect the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. It, it wouldn't be fair if the Dolphins got nine home games and the Bills got eight uh, that would not, that, that wouldn't be, like, because it gives the Dolphins a higher probability chance. So, I like it this way. Uh, and I, I will say right now in the podcast, the Dolphins will beat the Giants uh, because Brian Flores destroys bad quarterbacks and Daniel Jones is a bad quarterback. Oh, oh, we're He's got a head coach and a better defensive coordinator, and his team just plays. Better head coach. 
It's only been one year with Joe Judge. And he won more games in his first year than Brian Flores won in his first year. And he didn't have his best player for the whole season. Yeah, Brian Flores had the entire stir. Brian, wait, what do you mean? The Dolphins traded their best player in the training camp. Oh, well, you know what? That's just the... Be careful what you wish for, Big Rat. That's all I'm going to say. You just love to hear it in April. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> you love. I feel like this free agency period was so bonkers that everybody forgets that almost every year uh, free agency pales in comparison to the draft in terms of like the following season's implications. Oh, one one hundred percent. Because like with the draft, like a lot of the times, and we'll get into that in a bit. Um, you you really like you're excited for your player, but at the same time too, you're wondering like. Oh, is he going to work out? How is this game going to transition? And then you get to the later rounds where it's like you don't know much about these guys. But this year's draft class is one I'm very excited for. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that, like, mainly because, um, you know, beyond the the quarterbacks that are – I think one through three are, like, almost set in stone. I don't know if that's really the quarterback for San Francisco. Um, I mean, there's some people in the Mac Jones camp, some people in the Justin Fields camp. But, you know, beyond that, you've really got some, you know, like on the defensive side, there isn't a Chase Young this year. Um, offensive line, you know, there's, there, again, there are a couple guys that would be the de facto best, but, uh, again, nobody that really stands out as the, the bona fide number one. Um, you could say that about guys in the secondary as well. Uh, even, you know, the receivers, some people are putting them in, you know, different orders. So I think that there's a lot of uh, wild cards out there. Exactly, and because um, like that's why I wanted to bring up the San Francisco thing earlier. Because obviously Chris Greer made the drastic trade to move up, move down, then he moved back up. But Jared, I wanted to get to you first. At eleven, where do you think, and where should the Giants go? Uh, th- this is so. First of all, I gotta say the the thing I love the most about the Kenny Galladay signing that I didn't mention before is the flexibility it gives them with this draft pick because before free agency it was looking like this had to be the spot for a receiver like they they, they owe it to Daniel Jones they have to get a playmaker no matter what now there are there's just so many possibilities here um I I think that uh, you know Kyle Pitts um has impressed so much that I don't see him falling out of the top 10 at this point so I no longer consider that a viable option um I think that if they Interesting position in the middle. Uh, I 
I really, I like, I actually like them staying at 11 a lot, uh, just because the amount of moves they made in free agency, and more importantly, the development of the team in 2020 allowed them to not reach for any one particular guy, and not be married to a particular name, and just kind of go B, uh, BPA to add some depth. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. Personally, with the Giants, I think it is it should be Slater at 11. Like, you can't, or, like, even two Parsons isn't bad. It's just, look, the Giants have to sure up that offensive line because you have all these, like, great pieces to your team, but without a sure offensive line, like, you're not going to win many football games. That's just my only con to that. But you know what? There is still some good guys, that offensive linemen, who will be available day two and even day three. you said like look Slater should be the guy he off I believe he was an opt-out in 2020 but you know what if you if he's there it's just hard to pass on like even how you in uh 2010 like or last year excuse me everyone was saying oh you guys could have gone with uh Becton or Wills like I think Andrew Thomas turned out fine it's just we learned that guys like Shane Lemieux I don't think are starter quality in the NFL no 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 definitely not um they they invested a lot of wanted to see um and then one other point i wanted to get to quickly is something that you and i talked about this morning on twitter was the nfl probably eliminating the uh, monday night football double header and and instead doing i believe a late season double header involving two teams where there's gonna be playoff implications and i'm just like okay yeah sold like it's a great deal obviously it sucks for the west coasters but for the rest of the country i don't think they're sobbing too much
but no, we know what you mean. Like how it's years past they did. Like it was, I believe it was like Rams, 49ers. This year's was Titans, Broncos. It was Raiders, Broncos, though, in 2019. But like to your point, yeah, it's just a meaningless primetime game just to get another team on to primetime football. Which, with primetime football, I get they're trying to do this whole, you know, everyone needs to be on primetime, but at the same time, too, it's like, look, there are certain reasons why certain teams should and should not be on primetime football. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, with it being, obviously, it's tough with the game starting so late, but if it's later in the season, if it's week 15, 16, uh, what have you, and it's two playoff contenders, there's a much higher likelihood that you're going to get that East Coast audience, um, you know, at the height of their football craze right before the playoff, their appetite for the sport, they might be more inclined to watch that game than they would week one where they'd be like, ah, who gives a crap? Exactly. You nailed it on the head. Like, say, for example, if they're putting the Chargers and the Chiefs or, like, the Rams and the uh, Cardinals, for example, in that window, like, people are going to watch. Yeah. Hey, uh, Big Guy, are you still with us? I have been. I've just been waiting. You were talking to Jared about what the Giants should do at 11. I let him speak, and then I was just waiting for my turn to talk about the Dolphins and their draft. All right. All right. All right. So, can you give me, before we go into what you guys are going to do at 6, or what you want them to do at 6, what did you think about the whole trading up and then trading back in kind of thing? Yeah, and also, uh, yeah, so when when you guys transitioned from the Giants to the West Coast thing, I was like, oh shit, did Griff think that I dropped out or something? No, I did not, it's just I didn't didn't hear you speak, so I was just like, where is this guy? But if you want to give your quick thoughts on the week set, on the uh, Monday Night Doubleheader as well, you're more than welcome to. Jared pretty much covered it. I was just giving Jared his oxygen during the Giants because it's his team, and I let him, you know, handle the Giants thing, and uh, that, that, that's why. Completely uh, understood. I will say, yeah, yeah, Jared, no, absolutely no chance Pitts falls to him. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, before, before pro day, maybe, but. But yes, so, okay, the trades, um, yeah, I guess I, I guess we haven't talked, to, I guess I haven't been on since it happened. Uh, I thought it was great. I I actually I liked it initial I liked the initial trade more uh, before they did the Eagles thing. I was so pumped to go to twelve and to get two first round picks next year and two first round picks the year after that. As a general statement, when you guys were talking about the draft, I will say as a Dolphins fan, like the draft has been so much fun the last two years because the Dolphins have all these picks and it's going to be fun next year and the year after as well. Just like the Dolphins always having multiple first round picks, multiple second round picks, it's been fun. It's it's. Like, the draft is so much more interesting because me and, like, the other Dolphins fans and the Dolphins blogs, it's like, we have to pay a little bit closer to attention. It's not just who you're going to take at 13 overall or whatever, and then you're done, right? And most fan bases have, like, you know, the same five or six names that they debate about for, for a month. we got to debate about the, our names at six, our names at 18, and the Dolphins have the third overall, the fourth overall pick in the second round, too, which is functionally a first-round pick, so... We talk a lot about who they would get there as well, and they have a second, second rounder on top of that. So the Dolphins are always having picks has made the draft season just a lot of fun as a fan. And if anyone listening, if you're if you're a Lions fan or a Jets fan, like you're in for a treat. Like you, know, you it's hard to really appreciate it now, or an Eagles fan too. Like, but you'll see next year, or the year after, just like having all these picks and all possibilities, and the fact that one affects the other, and it's like. I'll take a quarterback, then now next week you do second pick and vice versa. It's a lot of fun. So I think fan bases will really, really appreciate 
Well, only three and a half weeks weeks away, gentlemen. Carolina Panthers, how there was all those rumors that, hey, if they wanted to trade up, uh, you know, they could go to four and grab someone, but then it's really tough because Atlanta's not going to trade with them uh, for that pick. I still think personally that if there is a trade up, it's Denver or New England, and I think it's either that Atlanta pick at four or it's Detroit at seven, potentially. Yes, yes. Like, New England can trade with Detroit or Atlanta, no problem. They just, they can't trade with Miami, they can't trade with the Jets. And similarly, like you said, the Panthers... I, I I do think that's a big reason why they did this, this trade with Darnold. Like, if the fourth overall pick wasn't the Falcons, and if it was instead Detroit, they might have done a trade with Detroit and moved up. And that, the rumor is that when so the Dolphins when they traded with the Niners, they they were considering trades for multiple teams. That's what the report saying. Was the Niners were not the only offer. So in theory, you can speculate Carolina was trying to trade the Dolphins, but the Niners are no, um, no, exactly. It's definitely a good move. You're moving down from three six. Probably going to draft the same player you would have drafted at three anyways, and you got another first round pick in the process. On net, it was a win. I just think it could have been an even better win because even though I understand them wanting to get one of the two elite guys, it's not guaranteed. So you better get them because if you don't get one of them, then then it's going to look real bad unless you trade back. Um, and as a result, I think having multiple picks next year and the year after would have been super bad. Uh, you know, I, overall, it's still a win. I can't complain. So I, I, I'm a fan of the trade. 
It's like I told Danny, it doesn't matter. It's not about drafting the best players. It's about giving yourself as it's possible to draft good players. That's what the Patriots do. That's what the Seahawks do. You trade down and you just raise your odds of getting more good players. And agree with them. Uh, no, 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 for sure. Because, like, look, Miami's just looking at this. They looked at an opportunity where someone was aggressively offering them an offer they couldn't refuse. And then, so with San Francisco now, though, like, a lot of it depends on, hey, the success of how... I still think, in a realistic world, what I think could happen if no one else trades is, I think it's Mac Jones at three, Pitts at four, Jamar Chase at five, and then I think Jalen Waddle could be the guy, potentially, for the... For the Dolphins, big rap. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd be on Strong, Tyreek McKill, Grant, Henry Ruggs. So I'd say that with a grain of salt. Smith, not at six. I'm okay with it at 18 if you were to fall that far, which I don't do that. Still would like it. And yeah, I think Pitts, Chase, Waddle. Is probably the most likely run out here. Although I will say, and I really do believe this, like Pittsburgh here, and someone offers the Dolphins another first-round pick to go to six, I think they'll seriously consider. But I, and if, you, if you have to guess their preference, I think it's one chase, two, three down, and then four would be Joe. Yes, but there's a lot of competition. 
this in the NFC. Their defense isn't particularly good. What is this team's ceiling, right? You know, maybe getting in, maybe winning a game in the wild card round, maybe delaying Matt Ryan's retirement for a little bit. You could do that, or you can get more capital by, you know, flipping this quarterback pick or just take your quarterback in the future. So I, I just don't see why any of these teams should be taking chase or kiss. I know it's attractive to try to take this stud receiver, but when your team's got other needs to fill, it's just not worth it. Uh, I will I will say this on the on the Sybil thing, which I look for, I want to say I agree with it. I, I agree with literally everything you just said. Um, I love Pitts. I think Pitts is phenomenal. He's got Calvin Johnson level potential. Seriously, I mean he, he's literally the same size as Calvin Johnson in terms of size, in terms of wingspan, etc. The problem Sewell, and I still think they should take him for Cincinnati. But here's the the conundrum: they drafted Jonah Williams in the first round two years ago. And then Jonah Williams missed his whole rookie year, and then he played last year. And so they've already used the first-round pick on a left tackle. And what Jonah Williams is pretty adamant. He, I mean, maybe, maybe he doesn't care now. At the time, a few years ago, he was, like, pretty adamant about playing left tackle and not moving inside. At least at the time. Maybe he doesn't care anymore now. The Bengals then, for right tackle, they recruited Riley Reef in free agency, and they apparently recruited him hard. They got him, like, a steak dinner and everything. With Joe Burrow. Like, yeah, with Joe, with Joe Burrow and a state dinner, it was a very aggressive recruiting pitch. Well, I think the one issue is, the one issue is, like, even though that's true, I think it's fair to say that, you know, I'm, I'm sure most people, if they're listening, they're going to be like, okay, but come on, like, this is, this is Sewell, like, like, what? well, why would you, why would you prioritize Riley Reef over Sewell? It's, it's not that. It's just that they want to be men of their word. They promised him the job. They recruited him aggressively. Like, they made a big deal out of it. And then so it becomes, okay, well, you can draft Sewell and move him to left guard, which you could do, but that's kind of a weird way to use the fifth overall pick. You don't usually see guards go that high. And then Quentin Nelson went seventh overall, so I guess it's not unprecedented. But it also, you know, he's supposed to be a franchise left tackle. Like, that's his appeal. And then you could also, the other option is you play him at left tackle and you do move Jonah Williams inside the left guard against his wishes, which maybe you could do. You know, I, I don't know their locker room dynamic. I definitely agree that they need to prioritize the offensive line. I definitely 100% agree they should prioritize that over Chase. I also think the receivers are underrated, as Jared said, with Higgins and with Boyd and with Tate and all those people. But I also just think that it's not that simple. That's all I'm saying. It's not that simple. It's not that they should or shouldn't do it. It's just that it's there is kind of a complicated dynamic in their O-line. No, for sure. It's just I think with a lot of Bengal fans, they just they want that like attractive like Jamar Chase level player. But we all know though that if Jamar Chase falls past five, Chris Greer is running to the phone and phoning in that pick within the first thirty seconds. Did it, Chris? That they would that that pick will go in faster than you could imagine.
know, whichever Miami takes, whichever um, Detroit takes, unless unless Miami trades down. Um, either way, I think that's six and seven right there. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. We could see one of them go earlier, but I, I do agree. Like after, like that's their. I think Jared's describing their floor. It's like at, at six and seven, if they're both there, I think they're both gone. So, like they're not going to fall. Like we were saying, the Giants have no chance. Don't rub it in, okay? You know, I mean, I'm kind of warming up to Evan Ingram a little bit because they have Kyle Rudolph, and he can, you know, work out of a slot rotation. But oh my gosh, I would love to replace Ingram with Pitts. No idea. You were bragging about how many games Joe Judge won as a rookie head coach. Maybe it would have been better if he went four and twelve. No comment. (laughs) No, because because Rashawn Slater is the. He's the missing. He's the missing piece. He's the last piece to the puzzle of the Giants' return to Super Bowl glory. I think. I, and, and look, Jared. Jared can rightfully mock the Eagles for like being dumb and all that, but I will say, like, very plainly, what would you rather have right now? Going four and twelve like the Eagles did, and getting the sixth overall pick, and then either using that on Chaser Pitts or trading it for a first round pick like they got, or would you rather be the Giants at eleven, who also at least, the, at least the Washington football team made the playoffs. The Giants didn't get that. It's kind of six and ten life. The Dolphins have been there for a long time. It's no fun. Listen, I I understand when people are like, okay, it's a team with a losing record, and then and then the draft rolls around, and it's like, oh look, you didn't make the playoffs, and you could have lost more games and gotten a better draft pick. But I think at some point, you know, winning culture, I think, is the most important thing. In the NFL, having the right coach and having the right locker room mentality is so much more meaningful than even the most, the most talented players you could possibly imagine. Because, like, Calvin Johnson, you know, the guy retired early. One of the best players that, you know, any of us will ever see play the game of our generation watching football. And he said, like, it didn't matter the talent in the building because they just they did not have the culture. They didn't have the mindset. It was, they didn't have a winning attitude. And, you know, for the Giants, yeah, they, they went 6-10. And ten, and, the, and they didn't have Saquon all season. Uh, Daniel Jones misses a couple of games toward the end of the year. And you, you look at, like, oh, what were those wins for? They were, they were worth nothing. You missed the playoffs. But it's like, you know what? That team was alive until the very last second. And what does it lead to? It leads to an offseason where all of a sudden players want to come to the Giants for the first time in years. They were accused by a lot of members of sports media – after they fired Pat Schumer, who sucked as a head coach, they said they were asking, you know, Gettleman and Mara, they were like, how does this look? Are you worried about the Giants becoming a franchise that nobody wants to go to because they think it's toxic? And, you know, I mean, that's how you turn into the Jets and the Browns, where you've got all these high picks year in and year out. Right, the Browns, obviously, uh, you know, before the last couple of years. You know, you got all these high picks year in and year out, and it doesn't matter because you don't know what to do with those players, no matter how talented they are. So, I like, much better for the team going forward, in my opinion, to come that close to, you know, making the playoffs to where they have that thirst for success. They have the motivation and the desire to win. Now they're re- you've got guys like Logan Ryan recruiting people. You have guys like James Bradbury and Blake Martinez taking pay cuts so that they could accommodate the needs in free agency when those guys should have been the last people on that team to take to be asked to take less money after what they did in 2020. But it just shows their commitment to the team overall. 
that was beautiful. That was a nice, eloquent speech. I thought I agree with most of it. It was beautiful. I hope you enjoy that same mentality when, you know, Jamar Chase is destroying your cornerbacks and Kyle Pitts is leaving your linebackers in the dust. Oh, some lovely banter. Um, Can I get my quick thoughts about my team quickly before we wrap up? Um, Personally, I think the Patriots can go one of two ways. It's just, unlike last year, I totally am not against the camp signing because they needed it. You need a quarterback going into the draft unless you're in the top five, in my opinion. If you're... Within the, t- if you're outside of that, you can maybe afford it because you know what, you know you're going to get someone like you guys last year, big red, like the Chargers, like the Bengals, and like this year with the Jags, the Jets, and now the 49ers. Um, but I think there's a strong possibility they trade up to get uh, like a Justin Fields or Trey Lance and have them sit for a year or two behind Cam, or you know get someone later on, maybe like a Kellen Mond, or even I just saw a report they met with uh, Mississippi State's KJ Costello. And they could pop, but I wouldn't even be shocked if they went like with a cornerback route in the first round. So I still think that my team's a mixed bag. And if I have a, my mock draft two coming out soon, which spoiler alert, I have the Patriots trading with the Dallas Cowboys for the tenth overall pick to get Justin Fields. Good. Bounce another NFC East team out of the top ten. Love to see it. I, I I think it makes a lot of sense, and I I think you hit all the right points. Um, and I think, yeah, because in theory, in theory, they can, they can trade up again, but it's just like they never, they never want to be this close. It's not like, oh, next year when they're five and eleven, they can trade up. It's like, well, no, that that world doesn't exist. So it's like, you know, fifteenth overall, this is about as close as you're going to get. Because if you're picking in the late twenties or thirties, it's going to be even more expensive to move up because the team that you're trading with is going to want more for falling so far back in the draft. It's going to. Like the, like the Niners did. You're going to have to give up multiple first-round picks and a third-round pick, stuff like that. So I, I'm with you. I think this is the time. I think there's a lot of good quarterbacks. Cam gives them an excuse to wait. And uh, I think it's a good plan. I think it's exactly as it should be. Cam will take over. The rookie will sit. When it's time, it's time. And you just you do it organically like this. And look, you'd rather, you'd rather have Cam than some random veteran quarterback who will give you average play. But now – that quarterback doesn't know the offense. That quarterback has no continuity either. Like, the whole advantage with Cam is that it's continuity. It's the second year. He'll be better in his second year than his first year. Is is Andy Dalton, like, so much better than Cam that having him without the continuity and a higher salary, does that make any economic sense? No, it does not. Let's so. like, Yeah, like, let's not forget <laughs> that Cam's salary is 35% is base is base of its thirty five percent and sixty five is performance incentives. Yep, exactly, and so it, it works out perfectly. Like I don't like look. I, I understand Patriots fans like really want Jimmy G, and I, I get it. Although I'm sure you would agree with me on this, you're not getting Jimmy G and trading up for a quarterback. You're not doing both. Things. Oh, good lord, no! I also do not want Jimmy G at a twenty five million dollar price cap because then I saw it, like the Patri- I follow an account called Pat's Cap. It's just a guy. His name's Miguel who does all the number crunching for for fun. I don't know if it's his job or not, but he basically said the Patriots have to give up like Dante Hightower, who I happen to be in a, in a, in a Twitter interaction with the other day, no big deal, and someone else where I don't want that. So I would only accept Jimmy if it's at like a $10 million salary, if we can get it down to that low or even less. Yeah. And that that's why like, it, like I, I think Jimmy G could be an upgrade. It's just... 
Jimmy G has it's it's the same thing with the Darnold thing with Teddy. It's not just that Jimmy G has to be better than Cam. If you're going to be trading a second round pick and paying him more money and like have less money to keep certain guys in the roster, it's it's not enough for him to be better. He has to be like a lot better. And that's like where it gets dicey when it comes to giving up a second round pick, maybe having to cut Hightower. All of a sudden, that's a really expensive bet to be making, and it's going to be really disastrous. And he's just like the 15th best quarterback in football. So. Yeah, I, we'll see. They could very well still get him if the price drops far enough that he takes the pay cut. But that it would have to, the price would have to drop to the point where it makes more financial sense, where you're not risking a high tower, you're not risking a second round pay. Exactly. I think that Belichick would probably just prefer to mold one of these rookies, honestly. And like you guys mentioned, um, it is, this is the year to do it. Um, and uh, like, like I said before, I really think that the Patriots look like the, the most logical and maybe the only logical straight-up partner for these teams, which could... Uh, see, I mentioned before, like, the Falcons having a lot of leverage, um, but I, I would prefer more to, like, their leverage over the Panthers to make the trade-down deal. But from the, from the Patriots' perspective, from a trade-up perspective, their odds of finding a partner with one of those teams and not getting completely slaughtered in the process is better this year, probably, than it's going to be in future years because so many other teams... Um, in their, uh, you know, near their position in the draft, are more secure in the quarterback. And 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 also, Griff, I'm sure you would agree with this too. I mean, like as much as you guys love Jimmy, it, it, okay, let's say you don't care about the money, you don't care about the 25 billion, you don't care about giving the second round pick. Okay, and I know you do, and I do as well. But even if you were a fan that didn't care about any of that stuff, like you you can't trust the guy to play for 16 games. That's that's also why. It's like, even, okay, I don't care about giving up a second-round pick. He's so much better than Cam. He's going to be a massive upgrade. It's like, well, none of that matters if he's if he misses a game by week seven, you know. So I think there's a lot of risk with Jimmy, which you can do. It's fine to trick him, but it has to be at a reduced salary. It has to be at a lower draft pick because the injury concern is as much of a concern as, like, the actual outplay in Cam. Exactly. Like, I'd rather have someone I know that I can rely on. Like, I love everybody when it's like, oh, we re-signed Cam, and it's all this, oh, well, you know, the Patriots could be worse than they were last year. And I'm like, no, he has a full offseason. Belichick got the guys he wants. I'm not saying this team's going to go, like, 14-3, and which I still have to get used to saying that. But there's potential that this team, I think, can win more than seven games in 2021. Yeah, the, 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 we, we didn't get to talk about it earlier, but all the records being so different is, like, such a mindfuck right now. Like, like teams that are going to go 10-7. and seven. Like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is a 10-7 and seven season? Do not tell... The only thing I'm going to say before we wrap up is do not tell Jeff Fisher that 8-8 eight and eight cannot happen anymore. <laughs> no more 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine bullshit. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing I wanted to address quickly. Um... So the NFL too with the new the new salary cap not salary cap excuse me the new TV deal and everything every team's going to play one international game a year and they're thinking about branching out to more countries like I saw potentially Germany I think South America and even coming up to my neck of the woods in Canada as potential opportunities for the NFL like it more international expansion is good the NBA is a very international sport the NFL is not and I think the NFL wants to grow into that like the NBA has this advantage where they can get prospects literally from all over the world from africa from europe from southeast asia like everywhere israel and so i think the israel and so i think the nfl is trying to get to that level where 
you know, you can actually get some international prospects that come in instead of just having to rely on the guys the guys right out of all the traditional U.S. colleges. Uh, fun, fun footnote on this, because I was reading about this the other day, because apparently the head of NFL, the guy who's on the NFL UK office used to be the head of NFL Europe. He resigned a few days ago. There was an article written about him on NFL.com. Uh, Alistair Kirkwood, I think is his name. And in the article, they mentioned how TCU has a quarterback who's from Germany. He's only he's like a four-star quarterback from Germany, and he's going to be playing college football at TCU. I think stuff like that is really cool, and will make the game a lot better. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we I don't know still if international is going to happen this year because obviously they want to see what the pandemic situation is. But I think at least for 2022, it's something to look at as a positive. Well, anyway, guys, does anybody have anything else to add before we uh, wrap up today's show? No, uh, just thanks for having us on. It was a good time. And uh, uh, put it in pen, the Dolphins will beat the Giants. This will be better than my Cleveland Browns losing to the Jets prediction because this will be eight months in the making. The Dolphins, or however, or whenever the game actually takes place, the Dolphins will beat the Giants in Hard Rock Stadium because Brian Flores beats up on terrible quarterbacks. That is all. so shitty if like by the time of the game it's like Xavier Howard's on IR uh, Kenny Galladay's on IR <laughs> it's like boys I love this is the thing I love about doing this is that look it's it's April and we're like so at each other like that's what I love about this sport truly brings out the best in everyone No problem, guys. That's going to do it for episode 78 of YWC Football Talk. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Big thanks once again to the Trust Fund approved Jared and Big Rad 310 for joining me. We'll see you guys in the next YWC Football Talk. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.